Good afternoon, Roadie Nation. We're back in the studio here on WRIU 90.3 FM Kingston. It's Mark Radigan here, back with Mark's Remarks. Another week, another show. Um, so this week was trying to dabble, find some new teams that were in the offseason to try and get some more reflections. We had A.J. Pena on last week reflecting on the 2023 football season. And so this week I wanted to get another look. We've talked soccer a lot on this show. We've <laughs> talked men's soccer a lot. But I wanted to get another look through a different lens, let's say, um, of this past year with this team. So today I'm joined in the studio by a good friend of mine, redshirt sophomore goalkeeper for URI men's soccer. I'm joined by Nate DiLoretto. Nate, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. This is Another one of these shows that I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. I love having a guys that I'm close with come on the show. Um, and like I've talked about so many times, soccer is another just really big team for me. It's a team that I really like. I love working with you guys. I love covering you guys. So getting the chance to have you guys join me on my show is spectacular. So, I mean, to kind of just like jump right into it, you're in a particular case as a redshirt sophomore, you transferred in. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to, not last season, but the season before, right. from the University of Hartford as a, a Connecticut kid coming out of Bristol. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to just kind of start a little bit from the beginning with you to kind of touch upon your journey because it's always interesting to hear the journey of players that jump from school to school that do the, that transfer, particularly regional transfers. But, I mean, just take me back. High school Nate DiLoretto. Okay. Early soccer Nate DiLoretto. Just kind of walk me through what were the foundations that led to you pursuing a career in this game? So, <clears throat> my freshman year in high school, I never really knew that, you know, I wanted to pursue something in college. Um, freshman year of high school, didn't play at all. It was mostly JV. Um, and then sophomore year is kind of the year that I kicked everything off. Um, had a great season. We had a few all New Englanders. Um, that really kind of took us off. And it wasn't until junior year where everything kind of got real. Um, we went 14-0-2, so we were undefeated in CCC's, um, I think it was Class L. Um, one of my boys, Jake Wozniki, who was plays for Stonehill, um, we kind of just t- took over. Um, and that was when, like, everything kind of got real. I was starting to talk to coaches. Obviously, junior year for soccer is really when you can, like, start getting recruited and stuff. So that was kind of the year where... Um, like I said, everything kind of kicked off. Um, and then senior year, I got, I think it was All-State or All-New England. I'm not sure what it was. Um, and that was when I committed to University of Hartford, um, beginning before my senior year started. And so th- that sort of decision to go to U Hartford, I mean, like everyone's recruitment process is obviously different. Mm-hmm. And um, coming during a little bit during the COVID times, too, that make that um, impacts it. But being a kid from an area so close to Hartford was Hartford a school that you were always one that was like kind of always looking at or was it just a matter of how close it was that that helped a lot yeah so funny enough I was I actually grew up watching CCSU men's soccer so they were one of the schools I grew up with Um, I still talk to some of the buddies that I watched playing with playing for CCSU and um I mean senior year junior year that was when COVID kind of just kicked everything so um, I was kind of limited to my options, um, but Uhart. Uh, we talked this before this, um, the show started. My boy Patrick Kuchevsky, um, We were kind of we've been rivals 
for in, in um, high school. So we were kind of talking about like what what's next for us. Um, I believe he committed first to UHart, um, and then I eventually got my offer from UHart and took it because we wanted to you know make something special out of that. Um, and then in the summer before we left, um, we call him Jiggy, so I'm just gonna say Jiggy instead of Pat. So. Um, Jiggy and I found out that the whole thing with the school at U, um, UHart was the president didn't like athletics, so he's cutting it from D1 to D3. So we kind of had to, like, you know, before the even, before the season even started, we had to figure out, like, what are we going to do next? It can't be, like, it wasn't a situation where, you know, we were focused on the season and then worried about what happened next. It was kind of like what's happening next and then the season. That's, that's fascinating. I mean, like, you really don't ever see situations like that. I mean, when that broke, that... Hartford, and most notably a Hartford team that was a 16 seed in March Madness the year before, mm-hmm. was all of a sudden going down from Division One to Division Three. You don't really ever see those sorts of um, demotions, let's call it, um, in athletics fairly often. So to then have to having already made the decision to commit, mm-hmm. and then instantly being like, "All right, am I really only going to be here for like a season?" Like right. I, then. Did that add any sort of pressure to perform, knowing that, all right, you're going to be in the spotlight because you're going to have to play well because you know for the betterment of your career, you're going to have to transfer after? Yeah, so um, our coaches at University of Hartford were very lenient about, like, our decisions. I know it's, like, against, like, rules to, like, talk to other coaches when you're in the season, but um, before we even got there, you know, I was kind of, um, had my eye on a few schools that I wanted to, you know, transfer out, transfer to. Um, but in, like, the guys there, like, I still love all the guys. I still talk to some of them at UHart. Um, it was kind of, I can't say it really was like a team environment. You know, everyone was playing for themselves. They really wanted to, you know, if they were good enough or they were getting enough time, they wanted to get out, just like Jiggy and I did. Um, so it wasn't really, like, an environment you really wanted to be in just because of the hostility. But I know from other guys in the past at UHart, they were – like, they said it was one of the best schools that they ever been to. So um, that kind of fluctuated, like, our decision, like, all right, like, are we going to stay until spring and then finish the year or if it's one and done type of thing? And so then as that season sort of goes on, you talk about how it's the team plays very individually based. Like, you've, mm-hmm. got, you've got guys really just playing for themselves rather than playing for the badge. And in a sport like soccer, you really you need that chemistry more than anything. Like right. you can have a team that is garbage, but so long as they have an understanding of how to play with each other, they can compete with the best teams in the world. So right. when you've got that sort of situation where that chemistry is almost non-existent, how did that season ultimately play out for you? Did you feel like that you excelled as at, at, on your own and as a team, or do you feel that? the performances were just far below what the team was capable of. Yeah, I mean, we had some great players on the team. Um, obviously, I think we definitely had a losing record. I think we only won, like, two or three games that year. Um, but considering, like, like what I said, it wasn't really, like, a team-based type of thing, um, it definitely wasn't as great as we possibly could have done. Um, but, I mean, that's how, that's how it goes when these type of situations happen. And so then after that season wraps up, you're kind of in that weird sort of daze of like, all right, now season's done. They're going down to D3. I want to stay at this level. Are you then reaching out to coaches that had initially been in contact with you during your high school recruitment process? Or is it just like, 
a new slate. This is my film from college. I'm a new player now. Then you just start looking at different at, at different levels of universities. Like how where does uh, where's the difference come in? Yeah, so I mean, it's just like starting off in high school. You start at the bottom. So once high school finished, I was on a you know quote for quote pedestal just because um, of everything I already committed before my senior season, and then getting to Hartford again started at the bottom, worked my way up a little bit, and then we had our I think it was our individual meetings Friday after the week ended um, or the season ended. And I basically just told my coaches, like, hey, like, obviously, like, you know, like, a bunch of the guys are leaving, and I want to enter the transfer portal. So, like you said, <clears throat> it's it's kind of hard to keep that connection with the coaches when you're in season. Like, obviously, they're in season. They already got the other guys that they were looking at and so forth. But there was a few schools that I, were, I was talking to already um, that kind of kept me in the back of their mind. But at the end of the day, it's like, what were they going to give me in return? So it becomes a process of, you know, where I find myself playing, what are the coaches offering, the school, um, the life in the school, the town. Um, so it's all those different variables. And so before we kind of get into, like, the schools that you were looking at when you hopped in the portal, I mean, were the coaches at Hartford, obviously, like, they you, you said they were pretty lenient with, like, how you guys were able to communicate with other schools given the circumstance. But... Were they, in a sense, like, respecting your decision? Like, were any of them at all, like, offended that you wouldn't want to, like, stick it out with no, that particular coach? No, they they were honestly like, hey, we know you're good. Like, we can see you playing outside of school. Like, we want you to do what's best for you. So there, I think there was a practice or two that I kind of missed outside the season, like the off season, the fall, to go on a visit. So they were kind of just like, hey, just give us a heads up, like, we know what you got to do. Just give us a heads up, and that's all they asked for. That's really neat. I mean, like, obviously, it's a very, very particular circumstance, one that you don't see fairly often. But, right. I mean, like, considering the different conversations that I've had with athletes and how coaches can react when people hit the portal and how negative stuff can be, I mean, it's it almost seems like a bit of a breath of fresh air to have coaches like that that are as understanding as they were given the entire circumstance. Right. They they even offered, like, some of the guys, like, hey, like, if you don't find something right away, like, you can come back in the spring and, like, just keep keep your books open. So I was extremely grateful for what I had at UHart. Yeah, there you go. And so, I mean, so then now you've entered the portal. You got, at, Once the season's over, you start talking to some schools. Mm-hmm. And so then, like you said, starting from the bottom, working your way back up, you had a couple schools that you were in kind of conversations with. And um, so just kind of tell me, how did the whole process sort of pan out during that spring? And then just what led you to ultimately falling on URI? So <clears throat> I kind of made a decision with my mom about, you know, leaving for the spring, just depending on what schools were offering. So there was different schools that were asking, you know, like, can you stick out the spring? Like, we want to see you play a little bit more um, than just the fall. But, you know, there was, there was a, f- a few schools just like URI that were like, hey, like, we're in a position where we're going to need someone now. Um, and there was a few schools that were like, hey, like like I said, play a little bit more, and we'll see what happens from there. Um, so I think it was – I don't really want to say any names, but I know it was here. And then two or three more that were like, hey, like, you can come now, like, you'll play, and then we can figure it out from there. Okay. And so then just, like, when you ultimately got those sorts of conversations, those offers saying, hey, we want you um, to come right now, we want to have you become a part of the squad, get the chemistry going and everything um, – was it an easy decision to choose URI given the proximity or were there a lot of other factors that went into narrowing down that list? It was it was really hard. Um, 
I was sending out, I think I sent out maybe like 50 to 60 emails to schools. So it was whether or not, you know, schools were replying back or it was schools reaching out. And thankfully, URI reached out with um, Jiggy and I. So it wasn't really a package deal with us. It was kind of like I came on a visit, um, stayed overnight, and then Jiggy came or Patrick came the next day. And we were like, oh, like, what's up, dude? Like, we, we, we were roommates, too. Like, we didn't know, like... I knew he was talking to um, Coach Bassett. He knew I was talking to Coach Bassett, but we never knew we were going to be there at the same time for him. Interesting. I mean, was that um, – and she's talking about, like, uh, being like living together and stuff. Like, when that ultimate decision came, like, did you guys talk to each other before you had officially made the decision saying, hey, like, I'm thinking about going there. Like, what are you thinking? Like, and so on. Yeah, we kind of, we kind of like, set a rule just, like, you know – here are the schools that we're talking to, like, hey, if I'm on a phone call, just, like, you know, step out or whatever. But we never really, like, got into the details just because, like, that's our personal stuff. Yeah. So it was kind of, like, me saying, hey, like, you or I reached out, like, that's, that's kind of cool. Like, that's they're a really good school. Like, the past, like, they won a bunch of A-10 championships. And then I know he said, like, he had a bunch of other schools at the top levels. And then he said, like, you or I reached out as well. So we were kind of pumped about that. And so, yeah, then once you kind of um, – once you both made that decision – and you're like, all right, we're going to URI. We've that's we've committed. We're doing that. Like, then what's that feeling like? Like knowing that, all right, one of my boys from Hartford, like he gets it, and mm-hmm. so now we're going into this together. Just what was that initial feeling like? And then once you came to campus, having that sort of um, person to kind of go through the ropes with you again. Just what was all of that like for you? It was a blessing, honestly. Like him and I have been boys since maybe 15, 16 years old. So. Um, you know, going through the ropes together was kind of a blessing in disguise, not knowing, like, what was really next for the both of us. Um, but, yeah, coming coming here in crappy dorm in Merrill, um, you know, it was definitely a step down from our dorms, but uh, it definitely made things a lot easier. Like, we had a bunch of classes together, so we were, we were together 24-7. Oh, that's cool. And then, so, like, then obviously you got to move into the soccer aspect of mm-hmm. it then. You, you start getting into that preseason training, like, you come in, You've got the, the spring, you got the summer, and so then you're starting to sort of get yourself into the fold. And like you had alluded to, you or I at that time coming off of a number of Atlantic um, Atlantic Ten championships, Atlantic Ten championship appearances, and so on. Just did you feel that there was a um, different level of play when you when you got there? Did you feel like it was like all right, like these these guys can really ball? Oh, 100 percent. I remember our first practice was at I think it's I think it's called Worldwide Sports. I think it's in Warwick. Yeah, the, that's the, yeah, that's what it is. Um, I remember the first training was at 6 a.m. And we got there. One of one of my roommates now, Michael Devars, he he picked us up on campus, drove us there. And I remember playing small-sided with them. I'm like, wow, like, it's night and day difference. And, you know, it was like, it's one of those moments where it's like, all right, did I make the right decisions? Just because, like, you're so used to something and then something else happens. And it's just like the difference is just kind of crazy but it ended up working out and so then as the summer is kind of going on like you talked about how you arrived as one of those schools where like all right we want you now mm-hmm. and we want to have you we feel like we believe in you we see a, a future with you and then as the summer goes on the decisions then made like all right i'm gonna redshirt because i know there were at the time there were a number of different goalies like on the roster and everything right. so how how were those conversations going and then just sort of what was the timeline of that of coming in kind of uh, getting yourself acclimated, especially with the goalkeeping coaches and the goalkeeping crew, and then that decision to take a redshirt year. Just how, how did that process unfold? Yeah, so 
in my meeting at the end of spring, it was kind of like, uh, hey, you did great in the spring. Um, what are your decisions over summer? Like, what are you going to do? Um, and then they told me, like, hey, we're going to bring in someone from from Germany and, like, you know, the spot's up still for grabs. Um, but that was also, like, kind of big conflict was I've been through three goalkeeper coaches already. So um, it that decision between the coach, like, my personal coach and the other coaching staff was kind of like a, a gap. So, you know, um, that gap kind of just, like, made a decision a little bit iffy. So um, coming back in the summer in August, um, we finally got another goalie, co- goalie coach, and the decision kind of, you know, fluctuated a little bit. Um, but, I mean, like, the decision was made. Um, I decided to redshirt at the end of the season just in case, you know, something happened. But there was definitely some chances I knew I, I think I could have stepped into, but, you know, it is what it is at this point. Yeah, and so then kind of just touching on what you would mentioned about the constant switching of the goalkeeping coaches, and you see that happen with transfers and so on, like having to acclimate to different systems. But when you have multiple different position-specific coaches, how, from your perspective, how did that impact your overall performance? Were you having to adjust to different systems? Were the coaches trying to get you to sort of operate in their own vision versus trying to enhance yours? So it's just like, how does that work with the player or position-specific coaches? Yeah, so I mean, obviously every coach has a different system, but at the end of the day, it's Coach, it's coach Elliott's decision, what he, he really wants. So um, the first goalie coach I had was more like, you know, just do your job. Um, the next one was kind of just like, you know, like, do your job. Um, you know, distribution was a big thing. And then um, the goalie coach we have now, Gio, I, one of my, honestly, best friends. Like, I can rely on him for anything. So um, the difference between the coaches is kind of just like, you know, personality, who you really fit in with the best. And then, you know, off-the-field personality and friendship leads onto the field and, you know, your performance and the other goalkeepers around you. And so then kind of delving a little bit more into that, too, once you start to establish a lot of those relationships and you're kind of dropping that moniker of being like the new guy and you're mm-hmm. now fully assimilated into that team and you've established uh, established yourself amongst the culture and then you've gotten yourself like a good network of friends and uh, guys that teammates that have become closer with just like as that first season went on just how did that sort of develop like as you were developing just your relationships with guys like I know like you and Max uh, mm-hmm. Quitchoff are great friends just how were those relationships developed over time yeah, well, funny you say that. Max and I kind of just clicked right off the bat. Um, one of our other roommates, too, Jason Morrow, we we never really met, but we're both from Connecticut, so that kind of helped as well. But um, hopping out of the goalkeeper side, like, the boys here are legit a family. Like, it's it's like this. So nothing, ever, nothing really gets undermined. You know, everyone's feelings are accounted for, um, and, you know, it kind of just went from there. That's, that's very interesting. I mean, I can tell from my interactions with all of you guys, like, doing stuff with the team. Like, it is very clear that you guys are it's, – it's, it's a vast network of just true brotherhood. And, right. like, it's, it's all a big family. And I, that really helps with the chemistry aspect. I know I've, I've spoken about it in just in soccer terms in general. I mean, I know I've spoken about it with Max and spoken about it with Rafa Villanueva in, um, last, in the last season of the show. And we were just talking about how key that can be, mm-hmm. particularly during – like down spells and difficult moments when you can rely on that. You can rely on like that trust in each other where it's like, all right, you know, like we're not going to 
We're not going to just crap on each other. We're not going to beat beat each other while we're down. Like we we can lift each other up. Right. And so then just obviously like moving into this season, not redshirting anymore. This is kind of your first like official like all right now I I have a chance to truly contribute. Going into the start of the year, what were some of those conversations like in terms of what the coach's expectations were you uh, for you um, were in the 2023 season? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was kind of it was kind of a different conversation that I had um, my first spring here. It was kind of more of like a hey, like we have a transfer coming in, like he's experienced. Um, we kind of just want you know he's going to be the one. So that was kind of off the bat. So my mentality kind of changed from. <clears throat> my sophomore year and it was kind of like all right like I'm still gonna do my best when the times when the time comes you know I'll I'll pounce on it but um yeah it was obviously it's a tough pill to swallow when you you told you're like you're not gonna be playing but um at the end of the day you still got to work your hardest and so then like yeah like how big of a motivating factor was it for you in training to know that all right they have that predetermined number one already mm-hmm. and um that you had already been here you'd wanted to take into that spot but then they're like all right like we want we still believe in you we still trust you but we have this other guy that's a little bit more experienced that we want to lead the line when you go into practice the next few weeks months after that did you see or did you notice like uh, were, did you become cognizant of any sort of changes in your um, intensity throughout practice after that after you had that conversation. Yeah, I can't I can't lie. My my sophomore year, I was kind of just like hard headed. Like I I knew like what my goal was and like I wanted this this and this to happen. So coming into last season, it was kind of you know all right. Like I know I know what the expectations are. Um, let me just follow them. Let me kind of you know stick to the script, not think outside the box and. You know, I was kind of gifted an opportunity the first game, so. Yeah, and then that, I was actually just about to get on to that. That was a very, very interesting game. I remember talking about that game with Roth um, last, uh, uh, in the fall. But going up against Quinnipiac, it's an absolute mess of a day. Mm. And then Edu gets sent off. Yeah. And so just, like, you're going to that first game. Is that something that you're even, like, thinking of is like all right we're first game in they already told me that he's the number one like and whatever and like obviously um for those that follow soccer listening at home like goalkeeping is the one position where like you don't ever see them subbed like they're there for the whole game the whole 90 so as a goalkeeper in that position are you kind of thinking like game one just like all right i'm just gonna sit here kind of just be a be a team player for the boys supportive and then all of a sudden elliot's like coach elliot's like hey i need you right now yeah like what, what was that feeling like for you so i'm kind of like you know, I I prepare my prepare myself for anything that really happens. Um, so it was kind of weird. Like the night before, like I had a feeling that something was gonna happen. Not not knowing what was gonna happen, but I had a feeling something was gonna happen. And obviously, my home state, you know, kind of stepping on the field, kind of felt a little, a little good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a tough situation to get into. Um, obviously, when I hopped in, it was a free kick right outside the box. So if I got scored on, it wouldn't have looked really well. But um, yeah, it was a it was a tough situation, but. I mean, we still ended 0-0. I mean, we could have won that game. A few dodgy calls by the ref, but, you know, go from there, I guess. Yeah, it is what it is. Not much um, we can do about that, but... But, so, I mean, coming out of it, it had to have really improved your confidence there yeah, after, that, after that initial conversation to then be like, all right, well, we're, here you go. Here's your opportunity, 49 yeah. minutes into the season. Yeah. But, um, and so then the next game, obviously, Eddie suspended for one game, and you're going up against Stonehill. Stonehill, first career start. 
three nil clean sheet. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a decent game. I remember sitting there watching um watching that and Stonehill like obviously it's a team that's mo- just recently jumped up to Division One, sort yeah. of the, almost the reverse of what you had experienced at Hartford. But I mean, just it's at you're at home, getting your first career start at your new home. Mm-hmm. Just that feeling. Well, walk me walk me through the first half, getting getting your kicks in. Yeah, it was kind of it was for me. It was kind of weird because I haven't really started a game since obviously my senior year of high school. So um, it was kind of like. A different type of preparation for me. Obviously, like I said before, I knew the striker there, Jake Wozniki. He was an All-American my junior year, um, so I kind of knew was what was coming up. But um, yeah, preparation was definitely, definitely a little different. But obviously, like we knew the, our personnel, um, we knew who we were going up with, and um, yeah, it kind of went from there. I I think I played pretty well that game, um, but obviously, like the other ten guys, they they balled out that game as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I mean, like. And once you kind of go through that, it's a clean sheet. Yeah. Like even even like the win is great, but mm-hmm. in, for the team, obviously spectacular. And started the season, it went I believe like three or four games without conceding a goal. Yeah. To open to open the season, nil nil against Northeastern Merrimack. You go one nil, one nil against Connecticut, nil nil against Quinnipiac, three nil against Stonehill. Nil nil against Harvard. You don't concede a goal until September fourth against yeah. against Providence as a team, and so I mean just as a part of that because mm-hmm. you started the Stonehill game and you keep that streak going. I mean right. just like from the goalkeeping perspective, that had to feel good. Yeah, I mean obviously stepping obviously stepping into that role, you're kind of just like in the back of your head, like I don't want to mess this up. Like I don't I don't want the pressure to get to me. I don't want people to know that like the pressure is getting to me. So. Um, obviously, like, our goalkeeper core is very strict on, like, you know, do your best. Whatever happens, happens. Just try and minimum, minimize the mistakes. Um, but, yeah, coming from preseason, we didn't really let in a goal. And, you know, going going from Quinnipiac, where I hopped in, and then obviously starting Stonehill, that was always in the back of my mind. Like, it's always in, the, it's always in my mind, like, do your best. I've always had a mentality of, like, nothing can really get past me. And I think for every goalkeeper, that's got to be something that they have to, you know, train their train their mind to take in. So, um, obviously, like my my boy Jake, we talked about it before. He's he's telling me how he's gonna do all this all this stuff, and I texted him after. I'm like, well, you didn't do anything. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, like I have great group of guys behind me in my goalkeeper core, and you know that that kind of you know pushed me to an edge where it's like you're you're not scoring on me. And so then. As the season moves forward, Edu hops back into that role, mm-hmm. and you're still there. You're still waiting as like the next man up, waiting for that opportunity. And as the season's kind of going on, results start to slip a little bit. You've mm-hmm. got that two-one loss to Providence at home. That was a brutal one. Yeah. Down, down ten men pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And then the la- the last minute goal um, as a, against a deep hated rival is definitely a hard pill to swallow right and then you go on you've got the loss to Dayton yeah. then the the loss to Bryant as well just being a, as a member of the team going through these the, a set of tumultuous results like that I mean obviously you weren't on the field for those but just being a part of that team and just being it just immersed in that atmosphere just kind of what was that like from your perspective, and how did it? I, I, I guess how would I? I guess I would say like how did it impact like almost the team's 
chemistry and training during that time. Yeah, so obviously that first big loss against Dayton was a tough pill to swallow. We kind of just like took a step back, kind of just like regroup everything. Um, nothing really changed from that point until after Bryant. So none of our routine changed. Um, we were kind of like, you know, sticking with the same guys. And, I mean, that's 100% fine. There's no there's no in wrong doing that. Um, but once it usually happens two or three times, you kind of like raise an eyebrow and like, all right, like something might have to change. Um, but as a, as a team in whole, we still stuck together. It wasn't pointing fingers at anyone. Um, which is kind of key. It's really crucial, and especially as a in the D one level. But um, I think at that point in time, especially coming from what was it, like four or five clean sheets, it was definitely a tough pill to swallow. And so then, like, it kind of goes back to that um, brotherhood aspect as well, where it's like if you have a team that's lacking chemistry, more of that individual um, individualistic style of play, like kind of what you were alluding to at at Hartford, where it's so easy for the team to just fragment and then boom, you're going to have two bad losses. Those could just metastasize to where you could lose out for the rest of the year if you're mm -hmm. not able to kind of get yourself back on track. <clears throat> and then after that Bryant loss, because the Bryant loss, losing the PC and Bryant, I can't imagine. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do you it. You can't do it if you're at Rhode Island. You can't do it. Yeah. But then you bounce back. The next game, it's, it's a nil-nil draw against LaSalle. And from my understanding, I remember when I talked about it with Max, that was a game where... It was definitely a confidence boost. Even though no one scored, it was a game where you didn't concede, you didn't lose, you got a point on the board. Just, was there a sense in terms of, across the whole team, was there almost a sense of like a like a sigh of relief when that, when, when that game kind of concluded, being like, all right, you know what, that's a step in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, obviously we have a certain expectation for us. Like, we had a few, like, crucial guys that were out with injuries, so um, obviously, like, you need to put the ball in the back and net to win games, but... Um, I mean, it was definitely a confidence boost. Uh, obviously, LaSalle is a very tough opponent. and The weather, I know, wasn't very great. But, um, I mean, at the end of the day, like, coming from, I think it was like 10 or 11 goals that we conceded in like two games. Uh, coming coming from that and then going to a clean sheet, it was definitely a confidence boost. And so then the following two games after that, it's two losses, two difficult ones, one against George Mason, one against um, St. Louis, and St. Louis are – perennial yeah. contenders. So yeah, you can honestly put that as an outlier. You know what? That's like, <laughs> it, granted, last year, the heroics yeah, of last, last year's game were amazing. Last year was a different story. Three, I mean, yeah, that 3-2 that win might be, still might be one of the best games I've ever watched live that, in my life. That atmosphere was unreal. I mean... In the pouring rain, my Pouring you. rain. We were, in the, we were in the pink jerseys. Something about the pink jerseys, it's... Un, I, I don't... I don't know what kicks in our head, but once we wear pink on our chest... Uh, no, you step up when you're playing for cancer. I you guess. you got to step up. <laughs> but, um, no, but so you come out of those losses, and then it's two good games in a row. Mm -hmm. You've got the game against top 25 Fordham. That was... That's another one. Yeah. That's another crazy yeah, game. Yeah, I, I, I remember that game. Um, man, they were... They've always been tough. I mean, even last year, we were down, I think, 2-1 or 3-1 at half. We ended up tying it 3-3. Three, three. Um, but, yeah, that game was – that was probably one of my top games I ever experienced. Yeah, and as, as um, my mom went to Fordham, we have so many family, uh, hmm. members of my family that went to Fordham. So seeing that, going to URI, I was instantly like, you know what? All right, Fordham, goodbye, trash. And not – not it, we're the better Rams, so on and right. so forth. <laughs> but – and then, so then seeing that game, I was like – Whoa! Yeah, because it kind of just came out of nowhere. Because it's like obviously you want to say like, all right, you have a chance to 
to win every single game and so on and so forth. But then, like, in terms of just both teams' competitive form going into that game, it was like, how competitive is it really going to be? Yeah. And then you go in, you pull out a, a statement win. Mm-hmm. Statement win. That was incredible. And then is the humane Fort Kent game. And then that was what I wanted to talk about with you because that was, you got the start during that game. Yeah, I did. That was the first game I ever commentated for men's soccer. That was my first ever play-by-play game. I remember doing my game prep for that. Mm-hmm. And I know I know Aiden Garvey is sitting in the other room. He's sitting in the office. He's listening to this right now. He's the one that gave me the game. What's up, Aiden? <laughs> he, when we were doing this, did not mention to me until a little bit later, you guys were playing a JUCO school. Yeah. That was very fascinating to have to learn the seven different websites to find stats on those guys. <laughs> but, um... I mean, at the end of the day, though, a very convincing win, Mm -hmm. considering the overall golfing class. But I mean, an eight-one win. Mm -hmm. You got to play. You got to play the full game. I mean, just like on senior night, packed crowd. I think it was Greek night too. Yeah, I mean, we're talking maybe like two thousand people there. It was. It was. It was packed. It it was close to the PC game. So yeah, that PC game was insane. So this was pretty close. And considering you're playing a, um, I believe they were in. NAIA or an equivalent yeah, of I mean, that. Those those type of JUCO schools are like pretty decent. Like, oh yeah, they were a national champion the year before. Yeah, one of our I know they they tied UConn last or yeah yeah not this not this past season but the season before. We actually took I forgot where he's from, um what school he came from but um Rodrigo he came from an NIA school. And so like when I was doing my research and I eventually found some of their records from the previous years. I mean you're talking about a JUCO school. That's made up of predominantly international kids that are coming here, that are going to play sports. Like that's what these schools are set up for. Like ninety, like no, not ninety, but like a good sixty percent of these students are athletes, mm-hmm. and that's what's making up their student population. And a lot of these guys coming in from Jamaica, from other parts of the Caribbean, they're going to play soccer, right. and they're trying to get their name out there. And so I mean, you're looking at it. You're talking about a team that was like fourteen one and zero in 2022. A team that they were like thirteen and zero the year before. Like they're a very good team for their level and so you go in there and you're like alright like as the goalie like as getting that sort of like getting yourself in the right state of mind and like going over film and stuff are you kind of sitting there like trying not to underestimate like the caliber of player that's coming in yeah I remember in that huddle I was I told him like hey like it's senior night some of the guys that don't normally play you know you're get your step on the field for maybe the first time and it's kind of this situation where it's like hey like we got to think of it as a Fordham game. We can't we can't step back. We got to keep the same mentality. And I remember telling the guys like put your head down, don't listen to anything. This might be your first time playing in front of uh 1500 2000 people. Keep your head down. Do what you got to do to win the game. And uh, I mean Maybe maybe my pep talk worked. Maybe it didn't. I mean, an eight one win. I mean, I, I hope I hope. Yeah, it I, I I'd probably say that it worked. <laughs> um, but I mean, you're looking you're looking at it this way. You had twelve shots against you, four mm-hmm. on target. You're able to only concede one goal. But I, I will I will give you some credit. That was a very it was a good from my angle. It was a pretty decent goal. It was a, there was a little mix up, but we won't get into that. Yeah, but I mean, it was. If, Give credit to that to AJ Chin that he was one, arguably their best, best player, player on yeah. there. So um, to get to give him some of his flowers, but even so, only one goal conceded across the full ninety against a team that was actually showing some, um, in essence, of offensive firepower. I mean, just kind of coming out of that game, your first real Rhode Island 
game, I would say, just given the atmosphere and so yeah. on. Just what was what were your feelings like afterward? Man, I was just trying to take it in. Um, obviously, like we call it the Kingston skip whenever it gets past. I think it's like six thirty-seven when the grass gets really slippy. Um, so yeah, I mean that that atmosphere. I knew a few people that were coming to the game beforehand. So obviously, trying to block that out as much as I possibly can. That was that was definitely key. And so then, just. You're taking that confidence. You're moving into the end of the year, but then obviously, the goalkeeping room keeps on rotating. Mm-hmm. You 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 had your opportunity to show your stuff. You you did va- you played valiantly. You played very well, and now you have that on your record of like, okay, look, I can compete for you guys. Like in, in a message to in a message to the coaching staff moving forward. And so then, as the season winds down, it obviously ends in a bit of in a bit of disappointment. Um, but as the season kind of came to a close just looking back on like your overall performances like the three performances you had on the field and then just all of the training sessions you've done the stuff that you had worked on in small side 11 aside just the different drills how do you feel that your game has evolved over um between when you first initially transferred to now uh i can tell you it's kind of night and day i came in as what was i seventh no 18 19 um I was so immature. I my coaches tell me every day like you've grown so much from when you first stepped in and that was kind of a big part of my redshirt year. But um yeah, I mean the guys in my class we've definitely grown up together um and really made a big statement. So um obviously maturing is probably the biggest part in the game where, you know, you're getting the experience, uh you're growing up a little bit. So I mean making those making those type of plays and, you know, growing up, it's definitely a big part. And so then that sort of maturity aspect obviously like the entire team and you go through a tumultuous season like Mm -hmm. this where you really get just you you get your rear end handed to you on a bunch of different occasions and you you fall short of the expectations that fans and other people expect of you just how do you feel the team as a whole has grown through that because I mean when you look at it when you look at results like that you can you can understand to a degree if, if teams start to fragment, if heads start to drop, and so on and so forth. But I mean, it seems that as the season had gone on, the, the chemistry still remained, the 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 passion was still there, uh, at least from 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 my understanding. So I mean, just like from your point of view, how do you feel the team evolved as the season went on? Do you feel that it was still as cohesive and? as just um co- as strong of a collective at the start of the year yeah so i mean after that um fort kent game it was kind of a situation where like hey like we need to win out to make the playoffs so it was still like you know a light under our, our butt so we were never a team to you know just fall back and all right like we're done like we have to win every single game that's not going to happen um and as you can see like I think it was what was the last game? It Davidson. was the last game was the two no win at Davidson. Yeah, so Davidson needed to win that game to win regular season, and we took it from him. Uh, yeah, we said no thanks, but um, yeah, I mean we kind of we kind of stepped up, um, but at the end of the day, like we didn't <clears throat> we didn't achieve those goals we really wanted to. Um, but at, I mean we we were still a team that gave it our all. We were never putting our heads down. We never didn't give it 100%, um, which I'm very grateful for. These these guys never did that. And so then, missing the Atlantic 10 tournament, it's yeah. it's second season in a row. But the expectations when you do that shift. I am I know that they shifted from 
2022 to 2023, probably down the dial a little bit. But now, the difference between the player expectations that you put on yourself personally and the fan expectations definitely change considering right. just like how you guys all look at this stuff right i mean even in preseason poll for my sophomore year it was 2020 2022 yes um we were ranked second in atlantic 10 and we'd even make playoffs so i mean and so then you go into the preseason poll this year you drop down even further yeah and then i you have to imagine that once you go into the polls in 2020 for 2024 i don't even gonna, want to look at those polls it's probably gonna be lower <laughs> but i mean just as we kind of move into this last segment of just talking about the Expectations. The first thing I wanted to talk about is just you've been a part of this team now for two years. Mm-hmm. You've seen two very strong cores graduate. 2022, you saw that core of Pat Ajman, Jordan Kudoa, those sort of guys move on. Mm-hmm. And now you're talking about guys like Kevin Castaneda and like a lot of those guys like Shedrick moving on, like a lot of those, a lot of those guys taking off as well. Right. And so as that sort of happens and as you stay as you kind of stay behind and see what's left of the squad just how do you believe the team is going to be able to handle losing talent like that and in what ways do you think that they'll be able to bounce back yeah I mean putting the talent aside like Shad to be honest he never really saw the field and he was one of those guys where it's like you look up to him to like check the room like he's the guy that will say anything to your face he won't, he's not afraid to say anything so that was definitely a big loss for us outside of the field um and then bringing talent in obviously Kevin was probably one of our best players and now he's gone but um expectation wise I mean we we still have Max the captain so as a senior class we're as a whole we're trying to you know tell the guys like hey like we need to do this this and this to achieve this so it's never an expectation of you know we're going to just go through it, you know, go through the motions. It's always, like, we want to do better every single day. And so then, just, like, moving into 2024, you've talked about how your game is night and day compared to you, mm-hmm. Hartford. And then we've all obviously touched upon the different conversations that you've had in terms of your role with the team and so on. The goalkeeping room is still going to be competitive. Yep. Edu is coming back. You are coming back. And then who knows? There's always the opportunity. There's always the chance that more goalkeepers bring that come in, right. freshmen come in, transfers, and so on. Just for starters, how prepared are you, in your own opinion, for that goalkeeping battle? In in this is probably in my opinion, but sit and from the way I'm looking at it, it's going to be a lot more competitive now. How prepared are you for that goalkeeping battle? Well, I mean, it's kind of like what Tom. I'm going to take this quote from Tom Brady. He said. He said, once I step on the field, you're not going to get it back. So that's always kind of been my mentality. Um, so, I mean, it's going to stay competitive. Obviously, Edu, he's coming back. He'll probably keep pursuing his the starting role. But once I get an opportunity, I'm not going to ever look back. That's my bottom line expectation. And so then moving forward into practices and moving forward into, like, the spring, um, the spring and summer sessions, are there other parts of your game that – you're looking forward to improving or are there other sort of skill sets that over this past year in training that you've kind of dabbled in that you feel like now like this could be a time where I could really like move forward and really enhance my overall goalkeeping ability yeah I could say we could talk to my coach about this he would always say my decision making is a little off just because like 
I love kicking the crap of a soccer ball. Like, I'll, I can, I'll, we can go outside and I'll just kick a ball if I really wanted to. Um, but definitely my decision making is one of the biggest things I, I think I've grown upon. Um, especially next year, I'm looking forward to that and you know making that expectation a little bit higher. And so then, kind of going back to the overall team aspect of it. I mean, we talked a little bit um, prior to the show about the caliber of players that are coming in, the transfers coming in, and so on. Um, how do you feel the roster is going to shape up in terms of talent based off of the guys that are coming back now and then a few of the guys that like have already come in? Because you obviously can't, ta- um, can't really touch upon the guys that haven't arrived yet right. or guys that we don't know that may transfer in in the later spring cycle. But based off of the talent that you guys have now and the transfers that have already come in that are going to be competing for the spring sort of season in terms of their actual football or soccer ability, footballing ability. Um, how do you feel they stack they, they stack up, um, or you guys as a whole stack up compared to some of the other teams you've played against? I mean, it's still kind of early to tell. I mean, we're what four weeks, three weeks into the semester, so I mean, we're just taking it day by day at this point. Um, we're kind of just making building blocks, and you know, going from there. I mean, we're obviously we're going to get a few guys um, coming in that can really help us, you know, reach our goals of getting the playoffs, winning A-10s, going to NCAAs. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, day by day, can't we don't we don't really want to, you know, look forward into the future so much to where we're overthinking the now. So keeping, keeping ourselves present and, you know, just working our butt off is what we can really do. And so then you kind of just alluded to what I was going to ask you next in, in terms of the mental aspect. And mm-hmm. this, this falls more onto you and then the guys that are coming back Right. For this season, I mean, mentally, for the group of guys that have been here for the past two seasons, not making the Atlantic 10 tournament, and then just mounds and mounds of pressure falling onto the program to stay relevant, to stay competitive, do you feel that because you've weathered so many storms, particularly like with losses to Dayton, with losses to Bryant, and then missing out in the playoffs for the second year in a row, do you feel like that now that that pressure is sort of like a mute point now that you feel like that, all right, like we've been able to do this. We've been able to still maintain ourselves as athletes that we shouldn't have to worry about it too much moving into 2024. Yeah. I think the pressure at this point kind of dialed down just because like it's the second season we didn't do that well. Um, But yeah, obviously the new guys, like they're going to come in with expectations already set on the table. So whether it's you know making a10s or w- having a winning season like it's it's got to be a point where you know we can't just let things be like if things need to change they got to change yeah it can't it can't just be you know we're playing the same exact way every single game and we're losing 3-0 every game it's it's got to it's got to be a thing where you know we have we have the guys to do the rotations to make teams better so whether it's you know switching people out, you know, changing a method or whatever. It's it's got to be a expectation if, you know, something doesn't work, all right, let's let's try to fix it. And so then kind of going off just like expectations and everything, moving a little bit away from the athlete way of looking at it. From your own position, you've gone through the high school recruitment process going to a school that then 
you knew immediately that you were going to have to transfer from. Mm-hmm. And then transferring to university where you're then inserted into inserted into the team, inserted into the culture, you take a redshirt year, and then the first year that you're allowed to be competitive, that you're playing competitively, you're not making that many starts because of, of just like the goalkeeping hierarchy and so on. How do you feel that over the past two years and so, outside of soccer, like just through your social life at URI, through academics, through other stuff that you've done, that you've grown as a person? Yeah, I mean... My sophomore year, I kind of just made soccer my life. So that was, like, you know, I was in class just, like, with my head down, like, like dang, like, you know, I'm not playing, like, I don't know what else to do type of thing. But um, this year, I'm, I've kind of, you know, dabbled into some things on campus, you know, trying to make a difference in my community. Um, I'm actually doing an event in April with um, some kids at in Providence, you know, trying to, trying to make, you know, student athletes a part of our community. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, um yeah, I've definitely grown with just soccer being my life. Obviously, I want to play outside of college, but, um, you know, every year is a different thing, but definitely growing on that. And so, like, that sort of community outreach thing, has that always been something that you've wanted to be, like, a focal point of your personalities, like, working and doing some charitable stuff, trying to help mold? Like, you said you were talking about working with some kids up in, like, in Providence, like, doing stuff like that. Like, is that doing this sort of charitable work to kind of give back to give back to the community that you've come from and to help people sort of, I guess, strive to reach the position that you're in? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been through some things where it's kind of just like, I kind of look back and it's like, all right, what can I have done different? And, you know, as a, as a kid, I never really knew what I wanted to do with sports. Um, so now just like, I, I was talking to my mom about it today and it's just like, you know, finding something where, I can help others not go through the things that I've I've been through is probably going to help me in the long run, not just them. Um, so, you know, like I'm, I'm actually starting like a pen pal group for student athletes and then some kids in um, South Kingston who are just, they can just reach out, ask any questions, all that type of stuff. So um, helping them is probably my best way of not letting soccer involve myself outside of, you know, in my in my actual life. It's kind of separating things and just like you know not keeping soccer in my frontal lobe so that's a very mature way of looking at things i mean like you even kind of talked about it where it's like you've the maturity has grown like in in you as an athlete like you've become more mature as a player and i mean it's it's seeping out into Mm -hmm. the rest into the rest of your life and it's, it's it's very admirable to see see stuff like that when you when you talk when like when you do what I do and you work with a lot of athletes, you really learn like different personalities and you right. see like how people are able to use effectively what is a gift, their athletic ability, their gift to help better not only themselves, but the people around you. So it's very admirable that you're looking into trying to find ways to do that. It's Thank very you. cool. Thank you. But as we're approaching the end of our time, I just wanted to say, Nate, this was absolutely awesome. I, again, love talking to you guys. My I love pleasure. So thankful for having you come on the show of today. Of course, anytime. Yeah, and so thank you for everybody listening at home. We will be back next week going to try and find a new team. I'm still doing my due diligence, going to try and see, going to look into maybe some spring sports now. I know baseball is going to be coming up shortly. So we're going to try and dabble in into some new teams that have not been featured on the show, but I'll keep you posted. Obviously, uh, take a look at the Twitter and the Instagram, Marks Marks Pod on both sites. And... Yeah, that's about it. Thank you all for listening today, and we'll see you all next week.